Traveling the Vortex. We've joined Dame Anne Bishop as she travels up her own time stream in episode 427. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? I'm recovering. I'm still in <laughs> the wrong chair. We're in the right <laughs> order this time. We're in the right order this time. Barely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm you're recovering. Getting, I'm just now getting my voice back, so it's it's been gone for the last two days. I lost it somewhere in the house, and it turned up today. So Was it with your car keys? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, because I was able to go to work. Uh-huh. You need to get one of the... Uh, well, what is that thing called to find my keys for your voice? Yeah. Tag. I think you call it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you found your voice, Glenn. Yes. <laughs> and we apologize. We are, yeah, we are uh, late this week because of that. Um, and my apologies, but it was kind of out of my control. So we're in the middle of lab week at work. So it's, uh, it's been kind of busy trying to plan events and things for the staff. So I've been, that's what I've been busy doing. What's lab week? It's a, a week to celebrate laboratorians. Ah. So it's, I think it's technically the, it's a, it's laboratory macrobiological week, something like that. But since we are not just a, a health lab, we're an environmental lab too. We just narrow it down to it's lab week. So like today we brought out a food truck for everyone to, to go eat food at. And we've been doing scavenger hunts and stuff like that around the building. And I just happened to wind up being the one in charge of planning everything. (laughs) So I've been a little busy with that. (laughs) What'd you do this week? Oh, what did I do this week? Um, I I did. I got to uh, get out and uh, caught a couple of new ones. Um, I, I, I saw little, um, which is the reverse of big quite literally. It, it, it's cute. Um, it's not great, but it's, it, it's cute. Um, a little more impressive. I did not know that the, uh, little girl that stars in it is, um, I, I don't watch blackish. So I was not familiar that she is apparently a star in her own right on that show, but apparently she is a huge fan of the movie big and conceptualized the idea for this movie when she was 10 and pitched it and is the youngest executive producer in history. Oh, wow. <laughs> and actually has, yeah, actually has a production office on the Universal lot oh. uh, where they are pitching more ideas. I mean, she's got it together, which is super, super impressive. The movie is just kind of so-so, but uh, <laughs> I, I was blown away by the backstory. So. <laughs> and then uh, we went and saw Hellboy. Mm. Eh. As much of a train wreck as it sounds. You know, I, I, everybody and their brother is making this out to be an absolute dumpster fire. And I just, I, I don't see it as being that bad. It's not good. Um, there are a handful of redeeming factors to it. Um, but it just, they didn't give it any room to breathe. It's mm. very big and bombastic and in your face and louder and faster and more, uh, to the point where, it's tripping over itself, trying to get to the next big thing. And one of the things that I appreciated with the Guillermo del Toro ones is, you know, Hellboy was, he's always responsible for the apocalypse, but it was kind of there in the background 
because, well, we have this to deal with right now. Mm-hmm. And this one, they kind of make the apocalypse a big thing. It's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's their front and center. Um, and yet the reason that it comes about is still kind of bass ackwards. And it's like, really, that's why we're going with this. I don't know. It just, it, it, it's almost one of those, if you happened to catch it on cable at three in the morning and you really didn't have anything better to do with your life the next day. Okay. You could probably watch it then, but yeah, I certainly wouldn't go out and spend money on it. Hmm. And I, through no fault of David Harbor, I thought he actually did, you know, when he was one of the bright spots, was, you know, oh, well, at least they cast somebody who, you know, can do Hellboy. But you spend probably the first half hour of the movie going, you're not Ron Perlman. <laughs> Which isn't his fault. Yeah. No, it's just nature of the beast. When you when you make an unnecessary reboot of a property that nobody asked for, you're going to get those questions. <laughs> <laughs> How was uh, Shazam? Shazam. Have you guys seen it yet? No. Uh-huh. Okay, so Shazam is so much fun. It is just a blast. It's the most fun I've had in the theater this year so far. And it's goofy, and everybody's talking about the humor. Aquaman was funny, but it was kind of because, well, it's Aquaman, and we can do whatever we want because it's Aquaman. Nobody takes him seriously anyway, right? And then it kind of became a big thing and exploded on his own. Shazam is funny because he's 14. I mean, he, he, he's, he's a 14 year old in the body of this, you know, God. And, uh, he still has the mindset of a 14 year old. And so the, the convenience store, which is in the trailers when he, you know, he walks in and goes, I'd like to buy some of your finest beer, please. And it's just, it's just a riot. It's all 14 year old humor, but it, it, it works on that level. And there's a couple of scenes that if they were in any other movie, you'd roll your eyes and go, really? That's where we're going with this? I come on. But because the tone is consistent throughout this, in this one, it's almost a fist pump. Yeah, all right, cool. And it's it's just a lot of fun. So it, it's, it's very tonally different from everything that's come before. And I've not read a lot of Silver Age material, but I keep hearing people refer to it as a Silver Age comic movie. And I can totally see where they're coming from because it has an innocence about it that is not present, I think, in a lot of, not just the DC stuff, but in in general. It it kind of is a, uh, it feels almost like a simpler time, even though it's still set in present day. Hmm. So I strongly recommend that one. It's a lot of fun. Other than that, I did not do much. So, Well, I know one other thing you've been doing. You've been finally playing some Minecraft. I have been playing a little bit of Minecraft this weekend. I've been ecstatic because finally the people that are all on my realm are finally playing on my realm. And so, and man, the progress you and Mel have made just in the two and a half days you've been on there. I was impressed. We, uh, we had snuck in one or two play sessions last week. Um, and actually that was kind of when we carved out the mine and, 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 and did some of that stuff. And so we had bulked up our, supply of materials and so this week you kind of saw the fruition of that that we ah, actually had I see. We, we could do something with it now uh and it's starting to come along and and look yeah, a little see, more you, 
you've got a really well networked base. I like how you started laying out your paths and everything. That's pretty cool. Also, um, Brittany with the Five-ish Fat Girls joined our uh, realm, so she's been playing. And anyway, we need to get Keith. <laughs> we need to get Keith going. I think he'd have a lot of fun, especially now that we're all kind of joined up playing together now. So he would. Well, as we speculated last week on the rumors, it the very next day was announced. <laughs> the very next day, like not even two hours after we had finished recording, I think. Doctor Who, the collection, season 10 on Blu-ray, coming out in the UK, Monday, the 8th of July. I have never been so angry over a piece of news. <laughs> <laughs> I should be ecstatic, right? No, we've joked about it before that we're always just a little bit early in or late that we always, that they, yeah. you know, we would record on Sunday and then the news would seem to break on Monday. So we adjusted our schedule and started recording on Mondays and it didn't help. And so we reported on the rumor and then literally two hours later, <laughs> ding, here it is. And I was just like, man. <laughs> well, and we recorded late last week too, even. I mean, so it wasn't We've even so much plenty that, of time. Yeah. We had plenty of time to announce that. And, and and I just knew it was like, and, and Glenn's going to sit there and he's going to work on editing it because he's going to feel guilty that we recorded late. So he's going to work trying to, he's going to bust hump trying to get that thing out. And then it won't matter. <laughs> it's still old news by the time it gets out there. Yeah. In fact, when that, when that broke, that news broke, I thought, well, it's already too late. So I guess I'm not in the huge rush. Because <laughs> <laughs> there was no way you could have gotten it out in time. No, no, not at all. But the box set is going to include a brand new feature length documentary examining the third doctor's era, uh, five new installments of behind the sofa, this time featuring Katie Manning, Richard Franklin, and John Levine. And then a couple other 20 of uh, modern panelists, um, uh, modern people working on the show. Um, there's also going to be a documentary called Looking for Lenny, investigating the life of one of the directors, uh, keeping up with the Joneses, which sees Katie Manning and Stuart Bevan, who played Cliff Jones, pay a return to the Welsh locations from the Green Death. And then a, there is going to be a repeat omnibus of the, eight, the Green Death, unseen since Christmas 1973. Hmm. And, of course, all sorts of bonus features that were previously released on DVDs, including the two episodes of Harry Jane Adventures that Katie Manning was on. Yay. Because I don't own those because I haven't bought Sarah Jane Adventures, but I really always kind of entertain the notion of just having the doctor ones, the doctor stories. So I'll get that one, and I'm assuming they'll probably do the same thing at some point with um, Sarah Jane. Possibly. Her her story that that had uh, David Tennant as the doctor. Hopefully. So that is coming out in July in the UK and in in October, October 15th in the US. Yeah. Which is exactly one week after the Macro Terror comes out in the US. So save up your money for October. Yeah. I think I had to prepay one of them now while I have the money. Then I can straight out buy the other one when it comes out. That would be a good idea. Although I'm still entertaining the notion of getting a region-free copy of Macro. You wouldn't have to wait till October then. That's right. (laughs) It's already out. (laughs) Our other bit of news, uh, there's going to be an art competition that will see the winner's art showcased at San Diego Comic-Con. So it's from BBC Studios, and 
Um, it's going until the 15th of May, so you can submit your art. And the grand prize winner will win two nights accommodation uh, at a for a weekend trip to London, a special afternoon tea for two, the uh, trip to the Doctor Who escape room, and a, a private screening of the your that person's favorite episode of Doctor Who. Four runners up will also get uh, limited edition merchandise and a goodie bag. And of course, the artwork will be on display at San Diego Comic Con. Very cool. Make there sure are, of course, your... rules you got to follow. So go make yeah. sure you read the rules. So if you were to win and they're going to play your favorite episode, do you pick based on what your favorite episode legit is? Or do you pick something ridiculous like the war games so that you can force people to sit in that room forever? <laughs> Depending on who all is going to be in the room with me. Well, it says an exclusive private screening of the fans' favorite Doctor Who episodes, so I would assume it's going to be very limited. Yeah. And probably no, if it's, you and a few close friends. Yeah, but if, I mean, if it's swanky, I, I want my time. I want my money's worth. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> Are the snacks free? Yeah, let's let's talk let's talk realism here. With war canes, I have to know how close the bathroom was. <laughs> I could drink me about fifteen Dr. Peppers. Uh, I wonder if you could ask for episodes that don't exist and see if they you know can, can scrounge <laughs> them up. <laughs> I'd like to watch uh, the Massacre in St. Bartholomew's Eve. That's my favorite. <laughs> very cool exciting stuff yeah and that's it for news that's all we got this time well let's move on to our feedback our feedback this week comes from jameson jameson writes it's me again why did did we revert back to calling him jameson i don't know Keith said Jameson. I went with Jameson. Jameson. I, was lo- I was looking at my email and it says Jameson. Well, let's the, hear from Jamie. From. <laughs> Only 334 episodes left to go, not counting side trips. <laughs> anyway, replies, enjoying your additional thoughts on the Ronnie. As to the rights to the character, I think it's more that Moffat didn't care for that period of the show because Big Finish has gotten the okay to use the character, main range 194 and 205. I think the Moffat's feelings are more likely the explanation. Also, glad I could give you a show topic. Episode 84, Time Flight. I have seen this one, although, as with all Fifth Doctor TV stories, it's been ages. I remember the Heathrow stuff, vaguely. I remember the Master in Disguise, and I seem to remember Chameleon being in this. Chrissy mentioned in her feedback about having just the Jurassic stuff or the Heathrow stuff, but not both. Would this have worked better as a sequel to the Faceless Ones from the Troughton era? I, I, I don't, don't know. We, watched it yet. <laughs> we, yeah, we haven't got to the faceless ones, so we'll have to come back and revisit that question once we get there. The dead companions were Katarina and Sarah kingdom, both from Daleks master plan. After that, we had Adric. There've been a few in audio Cariz for one and a few you haven't got to yet. So I won't say more. Thank you. In new who you have Rose sort of Donna in a way, Rory, <laughs> Rory, <laughs> Rory, 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 Amy, 
and Rory for a final time in Angels of Manhattan. And then Danny Pink, sort of a companion, Clara, and Bill, sort of. Winter for the Adept. I did not care for this one. <laughs> India Fisher as Perry was fine. Peril was fine. Had India Fisher as Peril was fine. The Doctor and Nissa were fine. I don't hate this one. It's not Minuet in Hell. I just really don't care for it. I'm not a fan of ghost stories or seances. Same reason I'm not a fan of the unquiet dead. It's okay, just kind of meh. Though, and this is something you didn't touch on in your episode, the story was written by Andrew Cartmel. I don't know if that affects your views on it or not. You know, I've, I've been thinking about that because I believe we listened to Winter for the Adept before I had the chance to meet Andrew Cartmel uh, at Galley, and since we've had him on the show uh, post that. And I've, I've kind of been thinking to myself that I, I think I need to go back and re-listen to it and then go to Andrew with a list of questions <laughs> and say, okay, I need you to walk me through this one and explain why you did this the way you did, because it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. I need to revisit the story and I'm not in any rush to do that. I'd rather talk to Andrew about other things. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so many other things to talk to Andrew about that revisiting winter for the adept is kind of way down on the list. Yeah. Moving on, episode 85. Okay, as much as I enjoy your ramblings, I can see why you've now cut the majority of them out. <laughs> I think that one we ran a bit long on, if I remember correctly. As far as Time Lash goes, I haven't seen this one at all. It was not among the half of Colin Baker I've seen. I look forward to watching it when I get to it, as I did know that it starred H.G. Wells before you revealed it. That may be a while, though, as I've only just now, March 8th, finished the one where Tom Baker fights and portrays an evil cactus. <laughs> yes, for those who have forgotten, the fourth Dr. Romano fought the schemes of an evil cactus. Whispers of Terror. I like this story. It's part of Big Finish's early experimental phase and the ideas of an orator who's known only for his voice becoming a sound creature is kind of cool. Some of the sound design is a little jarring, especially around part three, but I enjoy this one. The ending is especially very creepy. It seems to me that you guys didn't care for most of Big Finish's early stuff, mainly Phantasmagoria and Whispers of Terror, whereas I enjoy these. They aren't favorites, but they are enjoyable. Land of the Dead and Winter for the Adept, on the other hand, I seem to agree with you guys on a bit more. So moving right along to episode 86. Of the two novels reviewed, I've read The Eight Doctors and enjoyed it. I haven't read A Morality, and that's one word, tale. I get more out of The Eight Doctors the second time because I'd seen more of the stories referenced and was deeper into the lore. Listening to Sean's thoughts on A Morality Tale, why does it seem like a Doctor Who story has so many good ideas and yet then not live up to the potential of those ideas? Menuet in Hell and the alien schemes in this novel, just to name two off the top of my head. Okay, then, episode 87, and the greatest show in the galaxy. I've seen the first few minutes, but the disc skipped so bad I never finished it. I can't really comment on it much. However, it appears that Mags is returning to the Big Finish main range later this year. Also, I remember reading in one of the Virgin New Adventure novels that the gods of Ragnarok also created the land of fiction, but grew bored with it. Ooh, that's a cool idea. There were also plans to include Ragnarok, the Viking Armageddon, in the Curse of Fenric, but that was cut and reworked so as to not confuse viewers with this. 
enjoying the bit about Keith's wedding. I suppose that seven years is a little late to wish congratulations. Never too late. Episode 88 and the sixth Dalek archive. First, we have Day of the Daleks. I remember enjoying this and thought it used time travel and alternate timelines well. I've recently listened to the Eighth Doctor Time War box sets, and there's a story in the second set that might change the way one looks at the story. As for the Asylum of the Daleks, I enjoyed it. The Dalek human creatures known as the Dalek puppets. I like the idea of Oswin being a Dalek. The initial Clara arc with the Eleventh Doctor was enjoyable. A good episode, although the every Dalek ever was a bit of a stretch as the majority were only on screen for a second or two. I listened to Sean's Star Trek 101. I tend to gravitate towards Next Gen and Voyager as my favorites, although I've made it partway through DS9 and have been enjoying that. Of the original series movies, I've seen the motion picture, which was exceedingly boring, and Wrath of Khan, which is as good as everyone says. I've seen at least some of the Next Gen films and all three Abrams films. I've seen a couple episodes of Enterprise and have yet to watch any Discovery. Still, excellent primer. Good work, Sean. I also recently purchased The Big Finish Companion, Volume 1. I'm very much enjoying it. It's nice to see some of the -the behind-the-scenes stuff on your favorite stories. Anyway, that's all for now. Enjoying the show and all your discussions. A great show. Keep it up, Jamie. Thanks, Jamie. And I did want to mention it's not there yet, but we're going to be posting a second round of Big Finish reviews from Jamie on our website, so be sure to watch out for that. And he has graciously um, written up an article for us about um, uh, summer reading, uh, Doctor Who books. And so we'll be posting that. There'll be some suggestions, some that he has read. I believe he said some that he hasn't yet, um, but I think he stepped through each each doctor and gave suggestions for those. And um, hopefully he got signed up for the Goodreads book club um because we could probably use some of those suggestions for our uh, book of the month too so yeah absolutely and if you haven't yet i believe there is still time to vote there on is, uh, yeah. the, we just the, the book of the today. month for next one so you should yes. go and do that real quick jamie uh you mentioned uh, why does a doctor who story have so many good ideas and not live up to the potential of them this is something that we've kind of bantered back and forth a little bit in various forms and mm-hmm. i uh, we talked about like two-parters and I think it's one of those, it's always easy to wow people with the initial setup, and then it's hard to live up to that wow factor. And I kind of think maybe in some regards that has some play into it, that it's it, you can come up with a great idea, but now you have to come up with the resolution of that idea. And that's always a, a little bit tougher. You can do a quadruple backflip, but if you don't stick the landing, it's not going to be good. <laughs> there you go. Just the face plant. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, should we move on to our... Uh episode topic this week let's lethbridge stewart the laughing ome fear of the web dame and bishop learned a long time ago that for every fixed point in time there this is a fracture point an event that is susceptible to catastrophic changes in the timeline and when she is catapulted back in time she discovers firsthand that february 1969 is one such point colonel lethbridge stewart is on maneuvers with the Scots Guards in Libya, only he's about to receive a call from his old commanding officer, Colonel Spencer Pemberton, a call that will drag him to London and set him on a direct course for destiny. The London event, the trap set for the Doctor by the Great Intelligence, changed the course of human history, and for Anne Travers it set into place a series of events that would see the death of her father barely a year later. 
Now, waking up in the body of a woman she barely knows, Dame Anne is forced with the idea that perhaps she can change things. Not enough to damage the timeline, but enough to save her father. Future and past are set to collide, which could have irrecoverable consequences for the timeline. Just thought I'd power through that word. Say that, say that word again, Keith. Irrevocable. There we go. <laughs> Sorry, that was that was just funny. All I can hear is Team America. It is inevitable, but <laughs> uh, I've stumbled over my share, Keith. I'm not laughing. No. <laughs> we all do it. Um, I, bum, bum, bum. I really like this book. I like this book a lot. Um, Me too. I I love the setting of this book. I think the most brilliant thing about it is how it tells this story without getting in the way of the events of Web of Fear. Yes. I think it's, it's masterfully done. And, and I, forgive us, Allison. I know you're a listener to this show, and I'm sorry we put this off for so long. Um, part of it was due to scheduling. Part of it, of course, was due to uh, illnesses and other things that have come up. Um, but I'm so glad we finally got to this because it is, it, it, as I said, it, it does such a nice job, a masterful job of 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 framing itself around the television episode the web of fear um and by that i mean it doesn't stumble across any of the events like it it comes very near to the edge and it does a really good job of painting the picture of the things that were going on that we don't see in the episode a lot of the, the a lot of the stuff that's going on above on, on uh, oh, uh, above ground as well as underground and I think one of the um, important things about it is the book even references when Anne, when Dayman goes down into the uh, underground and she, or before she goes down into the underground near the end, she makes the comment about how she was very unaware of what was going on on the surface. And I think it really kind of speaks to the, to the, to the listener or the, the reader of the book that it puts you kind of in that perspective as well as that we're so focused on what's happening in the uh, underground that we don't realize a lot of the stuff that was going on above ground. I think she also does an, a, a very important job of tying some of the things together that are in the, uh, the first set of short stories. Um, in fact, I think they ended up publishing in the first Havoc files, um, particularly the one with uh, Pemberton's uh, group going down um, this does a, a a better job of flushing that out and giving us more detail than what we got in that short story. I think also what this does is I believe, if I understood right, and I didn't go back and look, and I should have in Forgotten Sun, but um, the opening of The Forgotten Sun, I believe, is a version of Alistair um, saving that kid. Um, I think this mm. is the kid that was watching, I think it was Dr. Omega, and Dr. Pango was his hero and you know, the, the, the event happening and he ends up going outside um, because it, now we see from his mom's perspective that he was inside, you know, watching TV when all this was happening and uh, the brigadier, you know, comes along and ends up resting, rescuing. And I think the, the, the really cool thing about that is, and I'm glad they left it a little ambiguous is I had me wanting to know what was the other shot did, uh, Lethbridge Stewart's gun actually lock up because she makes a point to illustrate that his gun was malfunctioning and there was that that weird uh, instance of two shots at the Yeti at the instance of where he's saving the child 
And the other thing that I think was left very open and didn't explain, and I'm hoping it's because it's a setup for something else, or it's a callback to something I'm forgetting, which is highly possible. Um, the, the child that he rescues, which obviously is one of his, um, it must be somebody related to him because his grandchildren, grandchildren make him think of the fact that he's got to rescue this boy. Um, but I, I thought that was kind of cool that there's something going on there and maybe you guys can refresh my memory. Maybe this is something that we've already been alluded to before. Well, based off of the, uh, Tardis wiki, uh, it's somebody from downtime. Oh, cool. Okay. So it's going to be a payoff from the novelization. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So is this maybe, um, Kate's, uh, uh, oh, I guess they, they were never married, I guess, were they, um, her child uh dad might be might have been i'm trying to find the character name and it's i think list it was well he called himself jonathan james something james jonathan or something like that i can't remember. yeah james jonathan james jonathan james um the other thing that i liked was um and and maybe this will um be revealed as well in, in downtime is the fact that the, that the boy has a purpose he has a a a determination to go back in he knows about these yeti he tells the soldiers and he you know he needs to go back in there and that was kind of left and sometimes i would read something like that and i'd feel like oh that was you know a thread that was left you know wide open why didn't you tie that up but knowing this series and how interconnected it is it was really kind of thrilling to go oh here's a little nugget of something i think we're going to learn about later so i thought that was really well done I'm sure well, some of that, I'm sure some of that goes to the coordination that the that that, that Andy and uh, 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 Sean do in crafting this universe, Andy specifically. But it was really well done um, to be included in that book, and I think Allison did a nice job. Well, and especially considering that's you know older Alice there, that's Brigadier, retired Brigadier at that point in his younger self. And he makes a reference after it happened that it happened differently than he remembered. Mm-hmm. So, and then that makes me, it, it comes across as not necessarily as a dropped plot thread or a plot hole, but as a, a nuggets to look towards for future stories yeah. because it's a change from what we're aware of. Right. The, right. the character did, is still changed, is still saved, but how it happens is different, which will probably did, did have guys, a ripple impact down the road. Sorry, did did you guys not pick up on the fact that when Bill finally showed up, he was in the body of a child? Oh, was that supposed to be Bill? Yeah, that's why it un- I, that's what I got out of it is that's why it unfolded differently because the the child was very keen on the Yeti and almost felt like he could take it. Well, it's because Bishop has experience with them. And we, we, we got the front end of that story from the Brigadier's point of view. And then later when it's bill is revealed to be in a child's body, it's like, Oh, okay. At least that's what I took away from. I it. didn't get that bill was revealed ever revealed to be in a child's body. Yeah. I didn't get that either. I thought when um, they, they talked about the fact that he, because he, he meets up with the army guys and they're like, oh, lad, and they, they keep kind of condescending to him and talking down to him and he's fed up with it all. I don't remember him at there being in a revelation that it was Bill, though. Not at the time. 
not 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 in the scene with well, there's the brigadier only, there's, in the backyard. There's, there's the only there's only the two instances of the child. Um, the first one is when the brig rescues him, and mm-hmm. the second one is when he's trying when he's wandering off, and the soldiers are are trying to keep him from going off into um, the, back into the neighborhood. Those are the only two instances, and I don't and ever those remember are the, them. Those are the only two instances of the child. Yeah, but I don't ever when, remember when we actually either. get Bill. He's it's 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 referred to that he is. I'd, I'd have to look up the page number, which I don't have in front of me. But um, the, there there was a reference that Bill was in the body of a child, and I don't think that she dropped the specific link between them. But that was that I got because we've only had that other one child character in the book, so I just took I don't it to be know that he what was copy that child. You read, but. I'd never saw anything revealed about where Bill was. And the other thing that, that, that makes me think that that's, that wasn't the case. If it was, and it's cleverly for it's, it's, it's a, it's a clever bit of foreshadowing. If that is bill, um, I'd have to go, you'd have to find the, the reference point for that. Cause I don't remember that at all, but yeah, I don't uh, remember him being in the, if, in a, the body if, of a child, if that is in case the fact, and that's revealed later, that's a clever bit of foreshadowing. But the thing that makes me sort of think that it's not is because it's my understanding that Danger Men is Bill and Alistair's story, and that's where Bill ended up is in the 1990s during the Danger Men. I just seem to remember reading something about that. Yeah, that being disclosed at the point. I remember reading <laughs> about that too. Anyway, yeah, that's, that's a clever bit of foreshadowing if, if you can find that bit. But I, I absolutely remember, and I remember this book very well, and I don't remember <laughs> any reference of uh, them disclosing that, that, that the child was Bill. <clears throat> um, the, 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 the couple of things that, that did, did, did trouble me about the book, and I, 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 will, I will point to a few of the, the things that I did struggle with, was Anne's determination to save her father, especially at the fact that she, Dame Anne is now a 70 year old woman. Um, she's seen a lot of action. She knows consequences of, of action. She specifically um, learned a lot of that from her traveling back through time in Beast of Fang Rock. And it's alluded to that she has a lot of experience with time travel at some point that we, that are stories we haven't been exposed to yet. Um, her determination to save her father, I felt seemed, I, I seemed very out of character for a younger Anne, I might have been able to accept it a little more. Um, but her, her stoic pursuance of going to keep the great intelligence from inhabiting her father all the way to steamrolling into the fact that she's just going to go take care of the intelligence herself and just change all the events because it's spiraled out of control, out of her control and her plans have fallen through. Just, it, it, it was really hard for me to justify that that would be Anne's motivations at, at, at the future Anne's motivations, knowing everything that she knows, everything that she's experienced. The only way that I could kind of retcon it in my head is the fact that she's inhabiting the body of, um, Oh, what was the woman's name? Was it Rachel? Um, yeah. But she's inhabiting this woman's body. And and there are times that um, Allison drops these clues that she sometimes is out of control of her emotions. And she's sometimes out of control of her, some of her cognitive abilities because of the fact that she's in this other woman's body that she's essentially sharing or, or, or taking up residency for the, the time being anyway. 
And <clears throat> sorry. And so I think that, um, I, I kind of felt like I was, uh, forcing myself to say, okay, it must be because of this, you know, and I almost wanted that, that there more of an explanation for why she was so determined and, you know, throwing all caution to the wind and, and going headlong into reckless plans, to be quite honest with you. Now that all paid off in the story. And that's why I think the enjoyment of the story is still there. It, the, that all pays off in the end that she, her realization that she was always a part of this. She was the reason why um, the intelligence, uh, you know, well, it was when Dolish is it Dolish? Uh, yeah. What's the, uh, the, the Colonel's name or not Colonel, the, uh, uh, Dwalish. Uh, oh, yes. Dwalish. Hey, yeah. Uh, when it's revealed that he's been infiltrated by the great intelligence first, and she's suspecting that it's Arnold the whole time, which in my head, I kept thinking she's um, suspecting Arnold. It's not going to be, he's not possessed yet. He hasn't been taken over by the intelligence. I just, I knew that was, that was to me, it was too obvious because they were forcing the, the suspicion, but I was completely taken off guard that, that, the the guy that is uh, possessed, I was like, oh wow, that was so good, and um, the idea that she really was responsible for a lot of the the um, things that happened, I thought that was just amazing. But it just really had I it's had a hard time rectifying the fact that Anne, especially the more experienced Anne, that has traveled back in time inhabiting this woman's body would be that determined to muck things up, you know, just, just throwing caution to the wind and really going for it. I can buy yeah. it. I, it to it, to an extent I can buy it. I, I think over the course of the last several books, we've gotten a lot of bits with Anne being very, um, preoccupied remorseful. and remorseful mm -hmm. and it, it's it's been a thing um wh whether it's been that her father is, is is still around and his deteriorating mental state seems to be uh something that's really kind of been driven home the last couple of appearances that, that travers has made in the series and Anne's reaction to that and then after his death we've gotten uh, several um bits with how hard that death hit her that it's, it's just, it's not just that he died and there was a funeral and she was sad and then she got over it. I mean, it's something that kind of lingered and they keep coming back to, um, even if it's just for a moment, it's something that's still there. So I can understand her being very obsessive about, I have a chance to do something about that, even though I shouldn't. Now, what I have a problem with well, but let me is address the that length that she goes to with it. Yeah, yeah. But let me address that because I think I could have justified it had it been Anne from the time shortly after that had happened. Everything that we have had with Anne dealing with the death of her father has been young Anne back in the 1970s. And that's very recent that that has happened. But this is Dame Anne from 19 or 2013 or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. that has gone back, who has had many years to distance herself from those feelings, that has had the the chance to have other adventures and understand the ramifications, adventures we haven't seen, but, but right. adventures that, 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 that she would 
better understand as a more mature woman, a more um, seasoned um, uh, adventurer that she would recognize better than anybody in her wisdom of old age or experience. I don't even want to say old age. I think it's just experience that, that it, that it would be a, 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 a foolish, if not, you know, foolhardy endeavor. And so I think that's my problem is had it been a young Anne from the 1970s had gone back to this event and based on the um, evidence that we've seen in recent books of how hard she took his death, then I would have had no problem whatsoever. But this is 19, this is 2000s Anne who is, you know, again, Dame Anne, she's had a lot of experiences. To me, I don't think she would be as reckless. I think that's my own problem. I was able to kind of justify it in the fact of, you know, everyone kind of has that one regret and one soft sore spot that, you know, that if they were ever faced with the chance to make it dif- make it differently, they probably would be very tempted, even if how, you know, how much they understand and recognize the consequences that that change could happen. Uh, and I think her father's desk death is that thing for Anne. is that's the one thing where because she was involved even though it wasn't directly because of what she did but because she was in the situation with him and had you know what ifs and so many different things that she regretted the fact that things happened the way they did and she was given an opportunity to try to make things different i can totally see her because they've harped on not necessarily harped but you know they've they've driven home the fact of how much this has impacted her Mm. even throughout the years i mean it's educationally she can know that she can't make these changes even with time travel but when it hits something so emotional as like a parent's death i think that's when the rationality kind of goes out the window and there are a couple of lines also that at least she was trying to convince herself that the changes she was going to make would still end in her father's death. It just wouldn't strip him of his mind. Yeah. And, and early on I was okay with that because I kind of thought, okay, yeah, she is other references kind of wound up just simplifying it more to, I'm just going to save him. As but opposed she, to, you know, I'm saving his mind before he dies. No, and, and I agree. And I think I would have had a problem if that been her entire time. But as plans fail and she goes into desperation mode, then she's at the point where she's thinking about, and she's even thinking these things through. That was the problem I had with it is she was rationalizing that in one way she was going to save all these people that had died. But in another way, she was she had a lot of forethought into how much she would be changing the future in doing recklessly going in there and trying to take the intelligence out herself. And that's where I had the problem is that at the end when it's the last ditch effort. Yeah. And when it wasn't even at the end, it was about about the time that, um, um, her friend, um, names the Ruton. Yeah. Um, Ruby, Ruby. Yeah. Well, Rupert. Rupert, there you go. That's what I was looking for. At the time that Rupert, you know, finally steps in and 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 reveals that he was not on board with this plan and that he basically tries to turn her in, um, from that point on, when she's, you know, throwing 
again, throwing caution to the wind, just going headlong into it. That I guess that's just, and again, I don't want to make it sound like that that was a massive detriment to this book because I'm spending a lot of time on it because it wasn't because the story is so good and it's so well done and I so enjoyed it. It's just that, just had that little issue with that. The other thing that I had an issue with was, and it's not even so much an issue because I think it was sort of <clears throat> explained or rectified at the end, was that Alistair almost didn't need to be in this story at all. Alistair could the, have remained. The present day Alistair, yeah. Yeah, Alistair could have been, remained his 1960, what was it, 1969 self, 67, self, and um, st- still progress the story we still could have seen we could have broke away and seen things from alistair's perspective and i kept thinking that there was going to be more to it especially the the dread i felt of when you know anything that he changes is really going to have an adverse effect because he remembers everything that's going on and he does a really good job of making sure that the timeline goes through and maybe that's probably the contrast that we're supposed to get between what Anne's doing and what mm. Lethbridge Stewart is doing because he's really staying on track with um how things are supposed to be even knowing and dreading the consequence going to go into battle with these men that are going to end up dying and he can't change a thing about it but I kept thinking especially he doesn't get the call initially to come to London and that is somewhat slightly changed because when that happens, uh, I thought, oh gosh, the, the, you know, any amount of change is going to really kind of change. And the fact that he mentions that the, in the original timeline, he parachuted in during the day and this time he parachuted in overnight. And I wondered how much of a ripple effect is that going to have on things? And so she does a really good job of, of telling that story, but it just didn't feel like he necessarily had to be there until the revelation to Anne that she, that this is the gnome is not doing this for her benefit. It's, it is going after Lethbridge Stewart. And when she realizes that, then I thought, okay, that makes sense. That was like, um, that was a, uh, a bait and switch or, or a red herring to show Alistair has come back to this point but also contrasted against what Anne's doing. So I think that I, I actually was, was, was fine with the fact that he was in this story in his older self or coming back as his older self into his younger body. I was then finally okay with that when they kind of reveal the fact that this is, you know, the, the, the target is Lethbridge Stewart. The target was not her. And so I, I was actually okay with that, but I did struggle for a long time wondering why is he even here? But I had those, some of those thoughts too. And I more of chalked it up to, you know, it's what he, what's going on with him is more part of the bigger story arc of what's happening. Right. And I think and that's the, the implications of what's different are, we are going to get further down the road. So it's, right. it's the groundwork being laid for future gnome stories is what I took away from it. It also gives us a little bit of the, um, Oh, the, what am I trying to say? Not uh, a realization, but um, what's the word I'm looking for? He gets to come to grips with his decision on choosing career over mm. family, mm. Good point. which is something that he's kind of wrestled with throughout the series. Mm-hmm. And coming back to this event is a nice counterbalance to Anne who is willing to chuck career for family 
Whereas Alistair yeah. is doing everything he can to make sure that the timeline continues as it should. And he's freaking out over, yeah. why didn't I get the phone call? How come I'm parachuting in at night? What is, what is yeah. going on here? And Anne is to the point of going, okay, screw this. I'm just going to go get the intelligence myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is trying to, you know, uh, salvage the career and he's made peace with that. And one is going, no, I have to save the family. And it's mm-hmm. kind of a nice counterbalance. The other part of me does agree with you, Glenn, that there there were times when I kind of felt like, well, did we really need this? It could have really just been a day man story and not had the Lethbridge-Stewart angle. But well, the, because the narrative, of that interplay between the The narrative the still could have gone to Lethbridge-Stewart. We could have still stepped away. Right. It, it was nice um, uh, being able to see what Lethbridge-Stewart was doing leading up to that. So that did benefit. We did benefit from that. We did get more of what Lethbridge Stewart's, you know, role was before he shows up, um, in the underground, um, you know, with, with, uh, Evans, uh, and then meets the doctor. So the only, um, that. yeah, no, that was great. And I, I in I, fact, I, I could have used a little bit more of it. <laughs> 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 there felt like there were big jumps of, okay, we're going to do this. And then, Oh, wait, we're clear here now. And I want to, well, what about getting there? I, I loved so much of the filling in the gap of what we didn't see during web of fear that I would have been completely happy if there was no time travel aspect. And we just saw everything as it transpired because everything on the surface had such a great atmosphere and eeriness to it, especially once the city was evacuated. Yeah. The dead London was really creepy. And I just ate all of that up and all of the gaps between, you know, opening with the beginning of web of fear and, the fam the 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 guy that the yeti was at all the way through just i absolutely loved all of it and i i could have used a little bit more of some of it some of the times mm-hmm. the um the one part of it that i feel with 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 Damian going too far in her overzealousness is i, I i'm i'm okay with her trying to get a note in I'm okay with her deciding to go herself. I'm okay with her even deciding to screw it. I'm going to go after the intelligence directly. I'm okay with all of these things because looking at the relationship between her and her father, and now that she's had the hindsight and the extra time to kind of dwell on it. And it's not just losing the the parent. It's the fact that the intelligence took him. I mean, it possessed him. And then it gave him this crumbling mental faculties. And then it took him away from her. And then it brought him back to her in this weird time travel event. Mm. And then it left him buried in the vault under the concrete. And I mean, there, there's so many different times that she's lost Travers mm. that to, to, to finally have this opportunity, I'm kind of fine with all of that, except for in this long litany of people that she's talking about, she could save, I could save Arnold. I could save this person. I could save this person. I can, I can do all this and make it better. At no point in time does she give any consideration to bill. Mm. She never mentions her husband, the man that she has grown to adore and love and cherish. And who is the first person she thinks of when she pops into this world, into this time frame. She, he's the first instance that she's like, you know, and when she walks into the apartment and, and sees the fiance standing there and she says, Bill, I mean, he, he's, he's automatically in the forefront of all of her thoughts. And yet at no point in time does she consider, 
if I wipe out the intelligence, does that alter the timeline that not only do I save my dad, but maybe we don't go work for unit and mm -hmm. we don't go work mm -hmm. for the brig and I don't meet Bill. Mm -hmm. And it seemed to me that that should have been a conversation that she had with herself. Even if she dismisses it and she's willing to make that sacrifice for dad, I think mm -hmm. she should have had that conversation. Mm. So that was the one thing that kind of, now I think she's gone too far, you know, that, mm. that, the, 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 she was willing to go that far, but I, I, I kind of wanted her to not lose her, her scientific objectivity to that point where she mm. would have just completely thrown that out. Yeah. And speaking of bill page 189, uh, the two soldiers, Sergeant Fred, Freddie Neville, of the Queens regiment and they're finding, uh, the boy about nine years old, Neville reckoned he's leave me alone, blah, blah, blah. What's your name? Sonny Neville asked, hoping to break the ice. None of your business. The boy snapped. Don't you give the sergeant any lip. The boy seemed to relent a little. My name's Will John, Jonathan James. Mm. Well then, John, Jonathan James, not our fault. You've gone and got yourself lost, is it? I'm not lost, John protested. He pointed in the direction he was traveling toward London. I know those creatures. I can help. Hmm. So that was the inference that I took that it was Bishop who had wound up changing that event for Lethbridge Stewart from the backyard because it's the only kid in the, in, in the book. And that now is he's, he's doing well, what Anne's doing. He's trying to we, get to the center yeah. of the action. We, we certainly knew that he was the same kid from the backyard. Um, but yeah, I, I, I had completely paid. Yeah. I, I don't think that was inferred strong enough for him to me to have caught that. I knew that he acted like he changed his name, but I had forgotten that he started saying will. So I think that's, yeah, that's, it's, that's, it's, a, it's even that's not an even edu that. it's, it's W I. That's a, so that's, yeah, see, that's, a, that's, that's, that's a educated inference. And I think that I, I, I agree with you that that probably was bill. Um, but I don't think it was, I, I don't think it was inferred heavy enough for us to have just naturally thought that that was bill, I guess. Yeah. So that, like again, I said, that was the jump that I made, but again, I think that is a clever bit of foreshadowing that will be, um, revealed later too. Yeah, I think so too. It's, it's entirely possible that, uh, you know, that story has continued in the danger men. Yeah. I don't could know, be. but could be. it would be, it would certainly make an interesting, you know, how frustrating is it that he's trapped in the body of this kid and, and can't do anything. Um, and certainly had her fair share of troubles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So no, yeah, I, uh, Again, I, I don't want to take away from how marvelous the book was and how much I enjoyed this. This is this is certainly now on my shelf of the 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 top of the of the cream of the crop of the Lethbridge Stewart series. Yeah, I would series. agree. This goes, this goes to the front of the line. Um, it's probably only slightly behind just a couple other books. I mean, it really I, I really love how Allison told this story, and I just I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a page turner. Um, it was to me, I, it started off slow and I put it down for, I don't good two or three days. Um, once I picked it back up though, I just, I flew through it. It was just, it, it just captivated me. Well, it's it really revitalized my excitement for the, the line <laughs> a little bit more because as much as I enjoyed scary monsters, it was still kind of a, uh, okay, I, I don't, I don't really know what we're doing here, but this mm -hmm. really showed me the potential of what they could do with the storytelling they're doing mm -hmm. and got me re-excited to read more of the, of the Lethbridge Stewart books. Mm -hmm. And also what it did is not only is this a great 
story and a lot of fun to read. And as you said, a page turner and, and, and so atmospheric. It also showcases how fantastic Web of Fear is as a story mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and just how well made an episode that is. When there, mm-hmm. the, the little in-jokes about, oh, the BBC, you know, uh, getting the tunnels and you can see it. You can totally visualize everything that's going on mm-hmm. because the episode is so well made. But then the you know it's it would be easy to just call it fan service by having them bump into these moments uh, that are kind of running parallel or the stuff that we didn't see on camera. But I think it's more than that. It's it's not just the fan service. It's 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 done in such a way that it really is enhancing and augmenting that story. And it it is built as the London event is a, a fracture point. It is a. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as the doctor would say, it's a, almost a fixed point in time. It has become a uh, a node of such importance. I mean, mm-hmm. particularly to the Lethbridge Stewart series, but within the the lives of so many people that wind up spiraling off of that, mm-hmm. that are important to Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it really it kind of enhanced the, the the Web of Fear enhanced the book, and the book enhanced Web of Fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're yeah, very complementary to each other. Got me excited. I'm going to go back and watch Web of Fear again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had that desire too. I thought she also captured all the voices of every character spot on too. Mm-hmm. She did such a good job of even characters that it's been a while since I've watched Web of Fear, but I still heard Arnold's voice whenever she had mm-hmm. Arnold speak. Mm-hmm. And well, same even, with even characters that didn't have as much, um, you know, book time, uh, Chorley, um, yeah, Evans. Yeah. I mean, just the the small doses that we get of them, uh, the, yeah, she's she, she has the she has the voice down, and Spence, I, I, all all of the things that have been set up in the books that we've kind of gotten. Mm-hmm. This is the timeline of this to to have them come in and, and actually see these events play out, mm-hmm. and uh, it it just yeah it, it just it, it enhanced everything not just mm-hmm. Web of Fear but it, it enhanced the entire Lethbridge Stewart line in my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Good job, Allison. Yeah. High marks. Very right. high marks. Well, Very what do we marks. have coming up on the schedule, Sean? Well, coming up on the schedule, which I need to update the schedule because um, we're coming kind of to the end of what we've got scheduled. Mm-hmm. I should probably work on that. <laughs> Uh, next week, we are uh, going to be doing some more a Big Finish. It's almost like we're building up to something. Uh, we'll be talking uh, mainline story number 121, Enemy of the Daleks. So Glenn will be happy because uh, some of his favorite villains are back. <laughs> the following week is uh, Am I Blue? a discussion on should you upgrade to the Blu-ray box sets? There are three out now, two Tom Baker and one Peter Davidson. And we're going to take a look at whether or not it's worth, you know, if you're like me and you own nearly all of the DVDs Mm -hmm. that have been released, except for Curse of Fenric. um, And then they go and release them on Blu-ray. Is it worth turning around and spending the money again after you upgraded from your VHS? <laughs> and, uh, I'll be very interested in the opinions of the <laughs> other half of the or other two thirds of this podcast. Not looking forward to that in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then uh, another book review. So you guys have, uh, what is that, three weeks. You better get started on this one. Uh, I understand it's a long one. Doctor Who Meets Scratchman by Tom Baker is uh, uh, the, the next one out from there. So, Which is the current month's book on the Goodreads Book Club. Yes, yeah. it is. Is the book for April. And just a, 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 a side note bit of news, um, speaking of scheduling, if any of you are in the neighborhood on May 11th, you are welcome to come to Washburn and watch me walk. Oh. I watch you walk all the time. It's not that exciting. Hopefully I won't <laughs> fall down. <laughs> it would be a bit more exciting if you did. I was I was toying with the idea of moonwalking across the stage to get my diploma, but that might be pretentious. <laughs> no, I, I finally uh, have all the all the ducks in a row and eyes dotted and t's crossed, and uh, so things uh, we didn't think it was going to happen because Mel had a pure romance conference in St. Louis on that day that we were both supposed to be at, and uh, then that wound up uh, being rescheduled to a later date in Wichita, and so it opened up the date and. So I will be walking. Yay. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. It's been a long time coming. <laughs> <laughs> but you're welcome to join us for that. Cool. All right. Don't forget that you can uh, support us on Patreon. You can become Patreon. You can become a patron of this podcast. Uh, any amount that you can donate to the show uh, helps going to this podcast, keeping us on the airwaves, as Sean would say. Um, and uh, we want to thank those of you that are continued supporters. Um, it, much gratitude to you all. Uh, anything else we need to touch on before my voice completely goes tonight? <laughs> I don't think so. All right. If that's going to do it for this week, until next time, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks for listening. And write us some feedback and convince Keith to join the Minecraft world. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.